you know, when you first came here, and he was telling me about uh, his daughter adopting the twins, and and uh, we were in a time as a culture really reflecting on uh, race and protests were happening, and he just said, you know, for so long that was at arm's length for me, and then my daughter adopted these boys, and it became at heart's length for me, and and I think that's what I hope that some of these conversations do for you is that it brings it in from something that's out there to something that's in here. Um, so yeah, thank you again for sharing each of you. Um, I feel like every week I preach from another medium still. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, so last week, I don't know if we have my little picture anymore, but uh, we kicked off a new, seri- a new series of sermons, and we're calling it Roots. And uh, the impetus of that is this. Uh, our pace of life, our technology overload, I think it's safe to call it, and the overwhelming amount of messaging coming at us, often through that technology, uh, from all sorts of directions and at all sorts of times, all of those things work against us in some ways. Physically, emotionally, relationally, certainly spiritually, if you can even separate all of those things, they work against us. Pace, technology, all of the messaging, we become numb to them, or at least the fact that they are a disease causing some of our symptoms. They tend to put us in a precarious position because they work against us becoming people of depth and people of conviction. They work against our ability to be deeply rooted in what's true and good and real. Say that again. They work against our ability to be deeply rooted in what's true and good and real. Our rapid pace of life and our failure to regularly break from it doesn't allow us time to do things like rest and reflect depend on God, or even hear his voice. The time and attention we allot to our phones and our computers, and I don't just mean how much, but when we do those things, how we do those things, in whose presence we do those things, and what we consume from them, it's making us more distant from one another and less patient as we seek God's wisdom and presence. And I'm not telling you something you aren't already bemoaning to some extent (laughs) or another. In short, these forces and others erode our love for both God and neighbor. And so in this series, I want to remind you, I want to remind you that we do have a choice. We choose our habits. We choose our pace. We choose how we behave. And in doing so, we make a choice about who we are becoming. Unfortunately, these problems tend to sneak up on us. Um, Slowly, our jobs get busier, or, or maybe it's a sudden change. We get a promotion or a different position, and we have way more responsibility than we had before. Maybe it's a new semester of classes, and we have way more work than we had before. And so all of a sudden, for the first time, I become the guy or gal that checks their email before they even get out of bed. I become the guy that feels like he has to respond right away to anything people ask of me. 
I have all these new habits, and it doesn't even feel like I chose them. It just kind of happens. Or maybe that's not my deal. Maybe I joined the latest social media platform, TikTok, because my friends are on there, right? You can fill in your drug of choice. But then you wake up six months later and your phone is telling you that you spend four hours a day in that app. Some of you are laughing because yours number's higher. <laughs> and it's not just the volume of time that I'm pouring into something that's basically completely unfruitful in any like meaningful way. But but I have these new habits that are attached to it. I never used to have my phone in the bedroom. Like that was a place that was about rest or about connecting with my spouse. But now phone is the last thing I do before I go to bed at night. And I go to bed later than I should because I'm scrolling a feed that has no obvious uh, stopping point. And so I go to bed later. So now I'm tired from my job. I'm tired from my wife. I'm tired from my kids. And I'm too tired for anyone else other than them. And I'll just go ahead and subtweet Netflix, subtweet video games, subtweet, again, your addiction of choice because fill in the blank, the, the temptation is there. My brain is slowly becoming rewired to process life in 30-second snippets before leaving them behind and moving on to something else. And so in, in the span of a few minutes, I can encounter a new recipe the atrocities of war, a funny fail video, a story of a young mother dying from COVID, and a picture of a cute baby. And I can leave each of them behind as easily as the next. But is that who I want to become? When I think of the type of man I want to become, is that what makes the list? Do I want to become the type of person who is too tired to do anything well because I wasted my rest time on things I don't even remember the next morning? Do I want to become the type of person that passes over extreme suffering just as quickly and with the same emotional uptick as I do a funny dog video? Do I want to slowly drift away from my wife so here in 20 years we can describe our marriage as, well, we're really good roommates? Do I want my kids to remember me as the type of father that has always had his phone in his hand, was always mad about something in the news, or didn't have the energy to really engage with me? That is what's happening in our world. And it's contributing to the degradation of our humanity. And you can see it's happening. You can, you can look around in our culture. We don't know who we are as a society. We don't know who we are. Those basic questions of what makes me human? What makes me me? What makes me valuable? What gives meaning to my life? Is it my gender? Is it my sexual preference? Is that what identifies me? Is it my ethnicity? Is it my income? Is it what I do to make a living? Is it my political party? We as a society are walking through a dark room, waving our hands, looking for something to grab onto, something that will give us a sense of, of place, of stability, and of direction. Of course, in the broader society, that, at least in part, is a symptom of either denying God, ignoring God, or reshaping God into whatever we want him to be. But, 
for Christians who should already have some sense of those things, all too often our symptoms come from a failure to purposefully and repeatedly make conscious choices about our habits that align with our values. What we do, when and where we do it, and so on. We must rediscover our roots. Where do we come from? Where are we going? Because roots feed us. Roots secure us. Roots determine what can be. I, I want to read, uh, this is going to sound worse than it is, my own little version of Colossians 2. <laughs> Not because I'm trying to improve on what Paul has done. I did read this scripture in its full last week. So, uh, But one of the things, maybe you can connect with me, and I don't know if this is our fault as we translate Paul or if this is Paul's fault, uh, but he is a fan of the run-on sentence. And that makes it really difficult for me at times to really get, okay, what was he saying? I reread the sentence, and there was like three or four things he said, and like, what's he saying? And so what I did was just try to go through this and like map it out almost in like a bulleted list so that I can be like, okay, I get it, and I can, I can uh, yeah, like I can just like hold it a little better. And so I think uh, I passed this along. Yeah. So you'll see here, Colossians 2, 1 through 15, mark it down, read it in full later. Um, but yeah, so leading into this, Paul is, is telling the church at Colossae, I am contending so hard for you and for the church at Laodicea. And he says, my goal for you is that you would be encouraged in heart, united in love, and that you would receive the full riches that come from understanding Jesus. He says, from the mystery of God, namely Jesus. That you would receive the full riches that come from understanding Jesus, because in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want wisdom and knowledge? They're all in Jesus. And he says, understanding him, coming to know him, finding the wisdom and knowledge that's in him, this will keep you from being deceived by things that sound fine and are well argued but are simply untrue, or at least half true. So then, just as you received Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in your faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For everything divine, he says, the fullness of the deity is in Christ fully, and Christ has brought you to fullness. He is head over every power and authority, in him, the part of you that's ruled by sin was cut off and thrown away, circumcised. In baptism, you were buried with him in death, and then you were raised to life by the same father who raised Jesus to life. You were dead, and God made you alive. And in doing so, he triumphed over every evil power who came against him. 
and he did so publicly on a hill hanging on a cross. And I read that passage, and I'm, I'm hit uh, by a couple of things as I, as I think about the, the situation that I'm, I'm kind of spelling out to you. And the first is uh, there, I think it's verse 6 and 7, where it says, So then just as you receive Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Live your lives in him. Live with an awareness that all I do, all that I am, is done in him. I live in his name I live under his authority. I live with his abiding presence with me. I live anchored and growing from the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are found in him. And we will spend our lives answering the questions of how does that reality, how does that mindset, how does that set of lenses on life change the way I think and live? How does believing this and seeing the world like that impact how I think, impact who I think about, and choose what to do with my time? How does it change where I go for wisdom or who I give credentials to enter the deepest parts of my heart and mind and have influence over me? He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy that depends on human tradition and human thinking. Is there, is there wisdom to be found outside of Christ's church? I think there is. Are there incredibly brilliant minds that aren't submitted to Jesus? Absolutely. But when it comes to making sense of ourselves, when it comes to making right the problems within us individually and amongst us communally and culturally and globally, well, there's only one who knows how to do that. There's only one with the power to do that. And he doesn't need help. Man fumbles around trying to prove that he doesn't need God. He says, look what I've built and look at my wisdom. Look at the wealth I've amassed. Look at my knowledge and my experience. Look at my wit and my independence. And God says, such men are like grass. They're like the flowers of the field. They last a season and then they're gone. And they were pretty, but they really weren't that different than the other flowers. And they didn't last any longer. Scripture says only one voice endures forever. And it places the choice before us of who we will listen to. And it tells us that one voice will hold us captive. And one will set us free. And I'm, I'm caught by that captivity language that don't, don't allow yourselves. Oh, it says, says, see to it that no one takes you captive, takes you captive. What does that even mean? I was just trying to think about that. I think it, it holds us captive because it confuses us about what real freedom is. I think it, it holds us captive because it stunts our growth when we believe things that aren't true, when we graft into a vine that doesn't provide any real nutrients. It holds us captive because the wisdom of the world ties us up within ourselves 
It's all about me and my needs and taking care of me. It holds me captive because it ties me to empty cisterns that don't actually quench my thirst, at least not for very long. I think it's in Romans. It talks about us being delivered from the bondage to decay. We're tied to death itself. Because what we're tied to can't give life. My primary question, especially for those of us who have a decent education in the faith, is do we have the formational habits to protect us against those things? To see to it that no one (laughs) holds you captive by believing these silly things? Do we have the formational habits to protect us against those things and to lead us into rich lives of loving God and loving neighbor? Or is our obsession with technology and our focus on earthly things slowly walking us down a road to mediocrity or to a a road to a life of Jesus and, where instead of living our lives in and for Jesus, as Paul says, we live a life of Jesus plus something else. Jesus and some cocktail of worldly wisdom. Jesus and self-righteous anger. Jesus and a commitment to preserving my own comfort. One of the things we see, especially in the Old Testament, is that God is not interested in sharing his throne with lesser corrupt and deceptive tyrants. And insisting that he do so will only lead to our own detriment. He puts this path, this choice out before his people. Do this and be blessed. You do this and it will ultimately destroy you. You choose the road that you want to walk. And ultimately, the road to blessing is a road to looking more like Jesus. I've mentioned a few times uh, in different capacities, but I think here on Sunday mornings about a book that Caitlin and I have actually listened to uh, called The Common Rule. And uh, just in case, since I don't remember what I've shared, I'll just share a little bit of background. It's basically written by a guy that was a missionary and then became an attorney. Um, and uh, just started suffering for some severe panic attacks and other things that, you know, they weren't just in his mind, they were in his body, they were certainly uh, in his spiritual life, and so he's he's kind of being forced uh, to be reflective and look at his own life and say, like, how did I get here? Like, what's wrong with this picture that's putting me in this place? And I want to share a couple of quotes with you. He says, only in retrospect, uh, sorry, it's not this one. That's my second one. I got one more before that. He says, only in retrospect did I realize that while the house of my life was decorated with Christian content, the architecture of my habits was just like everyone else's. And that life had been working for me until it collapsed. Only in retrospect did I realize that while the house of my life was decorated with Christian content, the architecture of my habits was just like everyone else's. And this common rule, he's talking about a rule of life, uh, almost like you would have at a monastery. Like you might use St. Augustine's rule of life, um, that they make these decisions about this is what we do, and we do it in this order, and these are the things we don't do. And it's not about legalism, it's about worship, it's about formation, right? It's it's, um, 
that we see life as something that we do in Jesus, and because of that, our habits themselves are liturgy. They're things we do repeatedly. They're acts of worship in a way because they're all communicating something to us about who God is, who we are, and what we're becoming. And so, yeah, this book is him kind of forming his own common rule, right? His rule of life. Um, And then I'm going to read one more quote, and I think that's the one that John has throughout there. He says, we have a common problem. By ignoring the ways habits shape us, we've assimilated to a hidden rule of life, the American rule of life. This rigorous program of habits forms us in all the anxiety, depression, consumerism, injustice, and vanity that are so typical in the contemporary American life. It's urgent, then, that we recover the wisdom of crafting a gospel-based rule of life as the new norm for living as a Christian in America today. We desperately need a set of counterformative practices to become the lovers of God and neighbor that we were created to be. And I'll come back to some of that. I do want to read one more passage. I've kind of done the same thing, I think, in Colossians 3. And I think we've got that here. Yeah. So Paul says this, again, following the passage we read earlier. He says, since you have been raised from the dead with Jesus, set your hearts and your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your affections and your intellect and your attention on things above, not on earthly things. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he gives this long list. I'll let you go read. And put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator. Aside from that, nothing else that defines us matters. Jesus is all, he says, and he is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive like the Lord forgave you. Above all, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let Christ's peace rule in your hearts and be thankful overwhelmingly thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you sing and speak its truth to one another in all sorts of ways as you're led by the Spirit. And again, do it all with hearts full of gratitude. Thankfulness and gratitude. He beats that drum all the way through the letter. He says, set your hearts and your minds on things above. I think that, in short, is the answer to the ills I've outlined today. Our our attentiveness to God, our connection to the vine, will surely make us more attentive to our neighbors, be that our actual neighbors next door or the neighbors that we share our homes with. In this book, The Common Rule, he's come up, as I said, with his own rule of life, these these, these decisions he's made, these habits he's put in place to combat the specific practical and spiritual issues that he was running into. 
And, and he admits that he holds to them very imperfectly. Um, but I think they will give us a framework to start processing my, what might be helpful for us, right? So his rule of life is four daily habits and four weekly habits. Daily habits are scripture before phone. I'll read these slowly because at least Kurt's taking notes. Uh, uh, scripture before phone, kneeling prayer three times a day, one hour with my phone turned off, which for him is usually in the evening when he's with his family, completely turns it off, one meal with with other people each day. So that might be with coworkers or it might be with family, but it's not in isolation. So scripture before phone, kneeling prayer three times a day, one hour with my phone turned off, and one meal with others each day. And then his weekly habits are one hour of conversation with a friend. He curates his media to four hours a week. And he uses the word curate because four hours a week, you've got to be picky, right, to some extent. You know, one football game can take three of that. Uh, and so he casts this vision, and, and there's so much. I mean, there's a book explaining each of these and giving nuance to them. But, yeah, he uses curate intentionally because, yeah, you've got to choose. And so if you have to pick, it's you have this opportunity to choose things that elevate beauty and justice and things that are praiseworthy and meaningful in their own right. It's not just mind-numbing, wasted time. Um, he fasts from something for 24 hours. And he practices like an actual 24-hour sa- uh, Sabbath from like early evening on Saturday to early evening on Sunday. Um, and yeah, like I said, he explains each one, giving nuance to it and how it plays out in his life and why he's chosen that for its own shaping power. And I've already started trying to apply some of these things to myself, at least like experimenting and and. Um, and I'm actually going to ask our staff after church today at our meeting to join me in this for a time. But I, I don't think this guy has, like, cracked the code or something. I think our lives are very different. We're very different. Uh, our life circumstances are very different. We struggle with different things, even though we're all the same in some aspects. Um, and so what I want to invite you guys into today is not so much, like, follow these eight habits with me. It's, it's to invite you into thoughtful reflection. I'd like to invite you into a reevaluation of your daily habits. I'd like to invite our community into a conversation about these things so that we can help each other reflect, so that we can point out the things in, in the lives of our friends that are stifling or disrupting God's will for them, to, to brainstorm together how we can combat the negative effects of such a fast pace of life such an overwhelming consumption of media and technology and all of the different voices that we lend our ears to in a single day. I'd like to invite you to step, to step back and to take a breath and to take account, to determine what it will take for you to root yourself deeply in Christ. Nothing makes that easy on us. Even from within ourselves, we fight against the call to give in to him and trust him with our freedoms. 
But as I said last week and again today, there is only one life source. And so if you find yourself feeling withered today, it may be time for a reintroduction. And if you haven't met this Jesus yet, well, I would love to introduce you. If you will, uh, we're going to share in communion now. So uh, if you call Jesus Lord and want to take part in the spiritual meal,